Hi, dear listeners, and welcome to Deutsche Grammophon's international podcast series. I'm Sarah Willis, and I just love podcasting with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. My guest today describes himself on his Instagram page as a cellist, musician, traveler, and occasional nerd. <laughs> I'm looking forward to discussing all of these things on today's podcast, especially the occasional nerd part, and also finding out more about his latest Deutsche Grammophon release of the mighty Dvorak Cello Concerto. Welcome, Kian Soltani. It's great to have you here. Pleasure. What an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are four very interesting things that you've written about yourself, and I want to get to every single one of them. But first of all, it's just great to be here and sit opposite you after all this this lockdown time and this this strange but quite creative time. You were actually very creative in your living room. At least that's what I saw on Instagram. I tried to be, yeah, sure. I mean, it was kind of challenging you as an artist to find new ways of engaging with your audience or maybe not so new because I was already doing all of this Instagram I, I assume you're referring to the, my Instagram activities I was already doing that of course but I adapted it a little bit so we started to do this kind of split screen performances you know with friends I mean performance is even an exaggeration I don't want it has nothing to do with the performance or in any way, I was trying to replace a live experience. It was really little snippets, just little tiny candy almost. Nothing serious or, or I was not trying to, you know, here make a big piece of artwork. It was just a fun way to kind of engage with my friends still and stay creative. And I was trying to do that, but nothing will, of course, replace the live experience. I think all of us have advanced so amazingly in the technology world. I mean, musicians weren't known for their incredible creativity with technical gadgets, or well, most of them. But I mean, people are podcasting and, and mixing and acapelling and, and all this incredible stuff. We just need somebody to invent something that we can play in time with somebody online, you know? I've seen some videos on YouTube that it is actually possible. It is actually possible, but with a lot of technical kind of knowledge you have to it's not so easy but there are guys who have actually managed with like an absolute minimal delay the delay that you actually don't even notice okay that's my next uh, tutorial i'm going to be yes, watching <laughs> but it is tricky it is not easy at all but it is possible actually but you've come back to now playing for a live audience what what, is, what have been your first experiences playing for live audiences again so i did one of those online concerts with for an empty hall that was in in vienna in the concert house so it was streamed but there was no audience the first concert that i did afterwards which was really with audience was in dortmund and that's already a couple of months ago i think that concert was they claimed in dortmund it was the first orchestral concert ever in germany i mean ever since, <laughs> ever. since, since the lockdown <laughs> corona time corona, <laughs> corona ever. yes so concert house dortmund really made a concert with orchestra. It was with the Konzerthaus Orchester Berlin, actually. And we went to Dortmund and we played two times for, I think it was 350 people each time. So on the same day you play once and then they go out, next people come and so on. So it was um, actually a bit nerve wracking because I hadn't played for months then uh, in front of an audience. And then straight, it was also streamed live and worldwide so everyone was, was watching because they're all at home yeah no know? one had anything to do so <laughs> it was from zero to a hundred immediately i would have you know maybe not minded to have a little you know starting slow getting back into it, but no there was no time for that i was straight to 
to 100. And I felt surprisingly good, actually. I was maybe a little bit a little bit nervous the very few, first few minutes, but then it went away quite quickly. Well, your career has pretty much done that because, you know, you're very mature, 28 years old. Is that right? That is correct. 28. I, I did my math. But the things you have done are really quite extraordinary. So your career has just gone boom. And the first thing you describe yourself as is a cellist. You know, you've been playing the cello since a very, very early age. What was your your very first experience of the cello? I was four Four years old. That was my first experience, yeah. Your parents are musicians? Yes, they are both musicians. So, yeah, I was surrounded by music all my life, of course. Cello was then just the instrument I chose, but already before we were making music. So, lucky me. Do you remember the wow moment that you decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do? I remember it on the horn very well. It was my very first youth orchestra rehearsal where all of a sudden everybody else was playing. They they were all much better than me. But suddenly I realized what all these scales and arpeggios, they'd had a meaning and that was to play with other people. You mean, when did I decide that I really would make it Yeah, my when life? did you decide this is my instrument and this is what I'm going to do? Honestly, I, I cannot tell you that there was a moment like that because I grew up in a musician's family and was surrounded by musicians up until I was four or five, really, because all of my surrounding family, they're all musicians. I actually just thought that this is what people do. Like, I didn't know there is an option. It's <laughs> <laughs> not like I felt didn't feel forced. It just felt like so natural that, uh, yes, of course, you grow up and you play music. This is like you you speak, you eat, you sleep and you make music. There's no... There is no alternative to this. Forget so, becoming a fireman or a policeman or no, a I didn't doctor. Even, I, I, at that time, I didn't know what is a job. I just knew that music is part of everybody's life. That's, that's so I thought. So by the time I realized that that's not true, it was already way too late. I had already It had already been part of my life for too long that I would ever let it go again. I just realized later that oh, there's children that don't play music. That was quite a shock to me. And then, of course, I had this, you know, when I started to understand what are jobs, what is money and stuff like that, I first wanted to become a doctor, actually. But that never meant for even one second that I would stop playing music. Of course not. But then I realized, nah, uh, <laughs> no, I don't want to become a doctor. Actually, I will stay really with music because I started to love the practice more and more. Because at first, I mean, as a child, I wouldn't say I loved practicing. And then when I really realized that practicing is something you can enjoy, then I realized that this is, yeah, this is really what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I don't have one particular moment unfortunately it just it was from the very beginning it's kind of a what is that is it indoctrination yeah. is that the word i was <laughs> indoctrinated by my parents but into that, the world of music absolutely lovely that, that just to imagine this little kid just thinking okay that's what you do you eat sleep you play music that's wonderful i shared a flat during my student days with two cellists so i know what cello practice is it's a lot of discipline a lot of scales a lot of spreading your hand so that you get these double octaves sliding mm. up and down oh my goodness you guys practice a lot yeah it's i think string instruments i would say they're all in the similar category when it comes to how much practice has to be done string instruments are their own category but yeah it is definitely it's the the whole intonation thing but of course horn also has thing we have, yeah but we we have a good excuse that we we can only play a couple of hours and our lips hurt so they all go excuse. off to the pub <laughs> yeah that is that is, that is a good excuse <laughs> i love the story of your dad driving you three hours to basel every weekend and three hours back your m mentor um monigetti is that how you pronounce yes, it yes ivan monigetti he was very important to you very important yeah he was certainly the most important musical and cellistic influence of my life because I met him when I was I think 11 or 12 I don't remember exactly maybe I was 11 or late 11 that's when I met him for the first time he came to my hometown in Austria to play and 
I didn't actually really know him, but a friend of us told me to play for him, and I did. And that's the moment. I think that's more or less actually now that I think back to what I said before. Maybe meeting him was the moment where I started to realize the the depth and the importance of practice and how deep you can go and how far you can go. Until then, it was just a game. But then he took it a level further. He really made me understand the the mission one has as a musician, the the importance of preparing your best and to go as deep as you can. So he was really the one who opened that world for me. And from the moment I met him, it became much more serious, but not serious in a, in a boring way, but more dedicated, I would say. More de- I went much deeper from that moment on. And so I stayed with him for 11 years. So it was definitely the guy who made, really shaped me as a cellist and a musician. And we're still in, in, in contact until today. I you must be really lot. proud. <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but that your career really, really went incredible places. I mean, we, we have we fast forward a lot of it because, you know, it's only a short podcast today. But the competitions, all the competitions you won, you can Google all this stuff. You know, for all, all dear listeners, there's all this stuff online. You can Google all the competitions and you were a scholarship holder or what? How did that work with the Anne-Sophie Mutter Foundation? Yes, still am, actually. This is a... a st- a thing that you enter and it, it, um, she will, you know, be by your side for as long as she thinks is necessary and needs you. So there's people that stay 10 years, 15 years, just four years, five years. And so I, I joined this thing. I think I was maybe 22. I also don't remember exactly. And so I'm, I'm part of this foundation ever since. And I hope I can stay for, for many more years. It's absolutely fantastic. I didn't know that. Do you think she'd take a horn? <laughs> she, she might, yeah. <laughs> if John Williams did it, then yeah. she will. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I, I did not know that. Um, oh, you mean as, as yeah, a found, yeah. I thought played a horn. No, no, no. If she Do you would, think she would take a horn? Would she take me in, into the foundation? <laughs> yeah, why not? Absolutely. You for sure. I'll ask her on the next podcast. Um, and then your orchestral training, because you were, you know, you were really training solistically but then you 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 were you became principal cello in the west eastern divan orchestra with your other great mentor in your life daniel barenboim Mm -hmm. had you played in an orchestra much before i had played a lot in youth orchestras just like you actually and the youth orchestra was very important for me as well because uh, there were a couple of family members also like my, my older cousin he's three years older than me also a cellist he was in this youth orchestra already so me joining was like really amazing for me it's like oh i get to play with my cousin next to him, sometimes he was m- further advanced than me, so he would sit more in the front. I originally st- started in the very, very last desk of the youth orchestra as a cellist. And Which my, youth orchestra was this? I mean, it's the youth orchestra of, of, of one of my surrounding towns, Jugendsinfonieorchester Dornbirn. <laughs> it's one of the towns in, in Vorarlberg, which is an area of Austria. Vorarlberg is very famous, especially for me as a Berlin Philharmonic member, because our chief conductor, Absolutely. <laughs> Kirill Petrenko, yes. he moved there with his parents. Yes, and, and all uh, Vorarlbergers are very proud of that. He went to the same conservatory as I did it, later. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it seems to have created good musicians, I this place. Know. So the youth orchestra must have been great. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're good. Yeah, <laughs> we're good. Uh, definitely, we, I learned a lot. And my sister also played in it. She, she used to play the flute. She doesn't anymore. So she was also there. So my sister, my cousin, and me. So it was a really amazing time, actually, to be in this youth orchestra. So I gathered some orchestra experience. But then, of course, especially my teacher's focus, Monigetti was always on the solistic repertoire completely, 100%. Because he himself is a soloist and he never played in orchestras. But when this opportunity came to play with the West Eastern Divan Orchestra, I really couldn't say no. It was just impossible. It was such an inspiring project. And obviously, to even have the chance to meet Maestro Daniel Barnboim was something I just I couldn't say no to. So I auditioned, basically, and 
and then I, I became the principal cellist. And it worked really well with all the solo stuff that I was doing because it's anyway an orchestra that usually meets uh, once a year in the summer. So this was something that I absolutely was able to do and it didn't interfere with anything else. And I'm I'm glad that until now and until today, whenever I have time, whenever it is possible, I'm very happy to join them on a, on a tour here and there, a couple of concerts to really support. And it's like a family that once you're part of it, you're always part of it. So I, I wouldn't describe myself as an orchestra player, but this is more than just an orchestra. Really, it's 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 a family of musicians who think the same way and so I'm very happy to be part of that. I remember seeing the the photo of you when you played the legendary trio with uh, Guy Braunstein and Daniel Barenboim. Did you play at the Waldbühne or was that just a big tour? Triple concerto. Triple concerto. Beethoven. Yes, yeah. Waldbühne was one of the concerts, yes. I mean, how you were this little thing, you know? <laughs> and and were you aware was it was it always in your mind that, you know, Barenboim had been married to one of the greatest cellists of all time and that's who he played the triple concerto with? Did that go through your mind or were you just too young? to not even let it bother you at all. No, no, I went through my mind a lot, of course. And the very first tour I did with the Divan Orchestra was in January 2014. And right away I, I approached Marenboim and I kind of told him about my ambitions, you know, like, you know, I really want to do this and concertos here and there. I'm really aiming for this and that. And he, he from the beginning, supported me. And he, right away, during the first tour, started to give me lessons. After the rehearsals, he would sit down with me and he would... So that one of the first things he did was speak about his, his you know, um, how do you call it, uh, pa past wife, in a way, Jacqueline Dupré, of course. So that was already the starting point. He, he told me some stories about her. and But after a while, it really, I mean... I just let go of the pressure. It was just a privilege in a way. And then from then on, I had so many lessons with him. And after a while, you just have to come to terms with who you are and what you are and not try to compare yourself constantly you, with the past. Absolutely. You say when you had lessons, though, and people assume when an instrumentalist takes lessons that they're being taught technique and fingerings and bowings. But you mean lessons of a completely different yes. Uh, level. Yes, lesson in music. Absolutely. Because the the technique thing, I suppose was sort of already a bit in the past. Of course, I, I work on technique every day still of my life. I, I will until the end of the day. But I wouldn't maybe ask Barnboim about cello technique. I would then... Although really, he probably knows. He knows a lot. <laughs> he knows a lot. And he would also give fingering suggestions and so on. But the technique is something I'm fairly, let's say, confident with myself. Now I can work it on my own. It's it's. I know I've understood it now and I, I can work on it. But so with Barnboim, it was really lessons in music. The first piece we ever worked on together was the Dvorak Cello Concerto, which is funny because now the circle has closed by with recording it with him now finally. That was the first piece we ever worked on together. And so it was really working on harmony, the music, the structure of the piece, the phrasing in such a depth and detail. It was absolutely fascinating for me. And then it was already one year later that he invited me to play the triple concerto. Then the next tour basically I did with them he said you can be the soloist with me and, and Guy Braunstein and of course I realized what what insane responsibility and opportunity it was I realized it and I started practicing I mean I haven't practiced that much in my life I think it was really then I think half a year I spent daily on on that piece the triple concerto because not not only was it a great responsibility but also the triple concerto is a very very tricky piece for cello on top of that. It's not a simple piece at all. It's extremely tricky. Every cellist can tell you that, that it's really delicate and you're so exposed. And the cello, in a way, is the leading instrument in this concerto. And I don't say that just because I'm a cellist. Uh, he, he, I introduced all the themes, basically, throughout the whole piece. 
And so I really, I had played the piece before that already helped, but then I practiced every day for half a year intensely just to prepare for this tour because I knew it would be very important halls. And I knew this is an opportunity that I don't want to mess up. Make or break. Make or break. I knew that this is also part of a test in a way, because if you can't manage to survive next to him on stage and Guy Braunstein, then I don't know if you're going to get a second chance. Maybe, but I don't want to have, I don't want to risk that. You know, I just want to show and prove to myself and maybe not just prove, just I want to be able to enjoy this moment. This was the most important thing for me. The preparation was all in order to be able, when the time comes, to enjoy the moment and not be scared anymore. Could you? I absolutely did. Every second of it, I enjoyed and I felt really ready. When the time came, I felt so prepared and I enjoyed every concert, uh, particularly this Waldbühne one. There is actually an amazing picture that is hanging in, in my parents' house in Austria. It's the moment that the Waldbühne, you of course know it, there is from the backstage area when you walk out, there is a moment when you see the audience for the first time on the left. And this particular moment, actually, I was walking with Barnboim kind of hand in hand. And the moment when we see the audience for the first time, like, there was 18,000 people there this moment and my, my face like lit up like that and, and the some, sound huh? yes. it's like a buzzing it's yes. like it's amazing and, and someone took a picture in that particular exact moment and that's hanging in the house because it was certainly one of the happiest moments of my life and I felt so ready at the same time it was not nervousness anymore it was just excitement that's fantastic and now you have brought out the mighty Dvorak cello concerto and this is quite a huge piece because it is like what would you consider is it can you say there's an ultimate piece for cello or or the top five this would definitely be among it if not right at the top easily yeah if one has to name one ultimate piece then I guess it would have to be a Dvorak because it ticks all the boxes there's many other great pieces but not all of them tick all the boxes that Dvorak concerto does, so it might it might actually just be the ultimate cello concerto. So did you really want to do this, or did Barenboim say, hey, let's record this together? It was both at the same time. It was clear that we want to make an album together. This was very clear. It was also clear that my first album, I would like to do it more intimately with my uh, duo partner, Aaron Pilz, and that I've been play- playing together all my kind of adult life. And it's a wonderful album called Home, yes. and you two playing all sorts of pieces, and especially Persian pieces. We'll we'll, we'll get onto that in a minute. But yes. it's a, congratulations recorded, on that. I really enjoyed it. Recorded at home, also the whole thing, the whole home thing goes all throughout the album. In any case, after that, it was clear that the next album I want to do with Maestro, and we already spoke about it very early. And he said absolutely, and it was just a very short conversation, and we both. Uh, very quickly just realized it has to be Dvorak. It's the piece that we're doing since we know each other. And it's the piece that is really just phenomenal and we both love and we both have such an emotional connection to it. It was a very short conversation and we both knew like, yeah, Dvorak, of course. There's people that might say 28 is very young to record such a huge milestone in the cello repertoire. And people like Barenboim have re-recorded pieces like 20, 30 years later, Glenn Gould, all these people, they, they decided, okay, they needed to show a different interpretation. Could you imagine that happening with you? Could the Dvorak concerto re-evolve as your career carries on? Absolutely. Yes, I absolutely can imagine re-recording the Dvorak concerto, especially because this one is actually a bit unusual for me in the sense that it really is a live recording. This is also part of how we planned this album was when we had this conversation, well, Daniel Barnum is a very busy man, right? So 
it was not like okay let's record it okay let's let's block four days we go to the studio it, it simply was not an option it simply did not exist four days in the studio in the next seven years it just simply did not exist so it was also for me it was like they told me like this is either like this or we cannot make it happen because he simply is not available. So you have this opportunity to play with the Staatskapelle Berlin. The concerts are set. It's in the Philharmonie in Berlin, right? And I mean, first of all, what an amazing place. It was my debut also there. And they were like, we can make it then or not at all. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> and I simply, yet again, it was like with the triple concerto. I was like, yes, I want to rise to the occasion. Like, I'm going to say yes, I'm going to do it and I'm going to, practice as hard as as i absolutely can and i want to enjoy the moment and i will just just do it challenge myself this is how it came to be this is not a studio recording at all we didn't have one single day not even one hour in the studio this was all done on 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 stage this is completely on stage of course we rehearsed a little bit before but nothing after but it's really i would say 95 percent of the album is completely live from the berliner philharmonie so this is very unusual it gives it a special energy, of course. But absolutely, I can imagine maybe in, 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 in the future, of course, many, many years from now, if I would re-record a Dvorja Concerto, I guess then I would try to make it different in a way that I would make it a studio recording this time. Because at the live thing I did already now, I wouldn't just repeat that anymore. Maybe this time we do a studio recording and you can bring out different things. But in a studio recording also, there are things that you, when you do a live recording, you can bring out those things which you would never be able to achieve. In a, I, I feel like never being able to achieve in a studio recording, which is the real feeling of that moment of a live recording. You try to recreate that in a studio often, but there is something about a live recording that just is unreachable in a studio. That's why we all say there's nothing that replaces a live experience. Yeah. You know, for concert goers, it's especially during this whole Corona time, we've all come to realize just how important this live experience is when it was taken away. It was like, you know, that it, we all missed it like crazy. Yeah. Well, congratulations on your Dvorak. And the rest of the album are wonderful pieces arranged for a cello ensemble, one by my colleague Stefan Konz, and you did most of the others with the cellist of the, of the Staatskapelle Berlin. And just, just a quick word about those. What made you decide to put those on the album? Yeah, so of course the centerpiece of the album is the concerto with its live performance. But then the question was, what can we combine with it? And I wanted to just stay with the composer. Like, let's explore other sides of Dvorak. What else does he have to offer? It doesn't always have to be this huge 40-minute giant piece with incredibly big form and everything. I, w I wanted to look more into the small little miniatures that he had written and there were so many and so so wonderful such wonderful compositions and of course those were recorded later those were studio productions and i always had a big love for cello ensemble i started doing that in a, at a very young age some of the arrangements one of them actually i had already done it was the song last mich allein which is so deeply linked to the cello concerto and I would always play it as an encore after the cello concerto because it's a song that he quotes during the concerto in the second movement also in the third movement it's related to lost love a woman that he loved so much who passed away and in her honor he quotes this song in the concerto so it was so important for me always to play this as an encore 
and the arrangement I had done already for cello ensemble. I would always play it with the cello section of the orchestra. So this was an obvious choice to put this on the album also with this arrangement. And I thought, what if we enhance it now with new, fresh arrangements exactly for this setting? And so this idea step by step became a reality and I wanted to contribute my own arrangements also. So I did, on top of this one that I already had done, two extra ones just for the album of songs and then I asked you know our wonderful colleague who I knew is such an amazing arranger and composer Stefan Kunz to do one for us as well and then the final one actually already existed by some other arrangers so we had five fantastic miniatures of Dvorak that all kind of work so wonderfully together but they're all so individual and and unique also at the same time and it's just a nice way to let the concerto ring out in a, in a, in a calm way and in, in short little bits. And celebrate the cello as yeah, well, which absolutely. is lovely. So that's your cellist part of the Instagram description. Then comes musician. So why, <laughs> why is a cellist not a musician? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Big question. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, first of all, <laughs> I didn't put add that much thought into my Instagram description <laughs> as you might think. I know, I just grabbed it because I thought it was a good idea. Yeah, yeah. If, you would, if I would really think about it, then of course a cellist is a musician, but maybe I don't consider myself only a cellist. Maybe, exactly, you know, exactly. Maybe I also like to do music that is not just on a cello. Obviously, I, I play a little bit of piano for fun. I like to fool around with electronic stuff as well, you know, on, on, the, on the computer. And especially that was in a way a bit of a statement of, for me, what our new generation of, of musicians, I think at least, should aspire more to work towards, which is a more inclusive environment of music, that it's not just classical music here and everything else is is below us. I really, really am trying to really go against that. I'm not the only one, I know that. It's a real movement happening and I, I'm really completely behind that. That time is over. Like We have to adapt now. It's Those times are over. We are living in new times. It's the 21st century and being a cellist does not mean anymore you're a classical musician and that's what i certainly wanted to say with that i'm not a cellist classical musician i'm a cellist musician i'm open to any kind of music that is great obviously that is the criteria it has to be great i'm not going to play stuff that i don't believe in and i don't like there is great music and there is music that's not so great in any genre classical or otherwise i'm very interested in all kinds of music that is great and have always been and so I see myself more as than just a cellist. I'm a musician who is searching for great music in any way that I can express it. If it's not going to be on the cello and in some other way, I'm open to that as well. But of course, cello is my strongest instrument. And so I would always prefer to express it through the instrument that I know how to express it the best. I totally agree with you. And I, with everything you said, and having got to know a lot of your work in the last couple of days, while I was researching you that I really agree that you are you are doing you're doing a great job. You're a real ambassador, not only for your instrument, but for for different music genres. I mean, the Persian side of you, you've done incredible things. I saw a wonderful video on YouTube of you playing with the what was it a tambour? Or what would you call it on the sweet spot TV? This, 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 the, you were playing a piece, you were basically playing the same rhythms and she was playing she was playing a, a certain type of, of ethnic drum. Oh, this just recently came yeah. up. Yeah, that was a darbuka. Darbuka. I had no idea yes. what it was called, but it, it sounded fantastic. And it made me think, okay, I'm going to look up that music. I was really interested in, obviously I didn't. <laughs> Not yet anyway, <laughs> but I will. But also the stuff you've played with bands. You know, you created a whole thing with GarageBand, didn't you? And and, and, and played with other people. And mm -hmm. So I, I, I totally agree with you that that's the musician part. I think it's important for all of us these days to not just play our instrument, but to have this completely open 
view of, of the music world. And I remember Sir Simon Rattle saying to me also, you, you know, you have to be an inclusive person. You have to go and look at beautiful paintings, listen to nice art, eat great food. All these things feed our souls and yes. make us better musicians. Absolutely. And if now, because I'm thinking so much about this Instagram caption, uh, <laughs> I, would, I would probably add one more category after that. I would say cellist musician. I would love to add also human afterwards, because that is also something many people neglect sometimes they think it's enough to be either just a cellist or is it enough just to be a cellist and a musician i think actually the third one which is to be a human is is extremely important so how would you look after that side that is by i don't know a lot of first i i think and not just me also many like psychologists and and thinkers of our time is first by looking at yourself going deep into yourself there's this guy which i respect a lot jordan peterson and he wrote these 12 rules of life. Uh, one of them is titled, before you start criticizing the world, clean up your room. And of course, that is a metaphor for many things. It doesn't mean literally just clean up your room and you're done. Clean up your room means, you know, clean up yourself. You're, be a good person, first of all. And then you can start to inspire other people to be a good person as well. If you just point fingers all the time while actually not leading by example, no one's going to follow you. No one's going to, it's not authentic. So what, what I think it means to be a good human is really to lead by example. And I try to do it. Nobody's perfect, of course. Many flaws with me and with everybody. Everybody's full of flaws. It actually means embracing your flaws, coming to terms with them, trying to become a better person every day and leading by example, inspiring people and lift them up. I mean, that is really what I would love to be able to achieve in my life. Well, I'm expecting that to appear on your Instagram feed very soon. <laughs> now I have to. <laughs> Traveler is the next one. Of course, we've all been leading these incredible lives of jumping on a plane and playing somewhere and jumping on the next plane. And in our traveling days, of course, that's not happening at all at the moment. Who knows if it will again? Traveling with a cello is not the easiest thing in the world, is it? Because it, you have a t one ticket for you and one ticket for the cello. That's exactly how it always goes. So there's two problems with it, which is you can never, for the exception for EasyJet, Ryanair and Wizz Air, those very... <laughs> I, I, for, for the listeners, I'm making a face right now because they never let my horn on board. Really? <laughs> yeah, very Oh, well, that's funny because EasyJet, Ryanair and Wizz Air are, for the cellist, the absolute dream. Oh, They're the dream for a cello because the only airlines, and maybe I'm, I forgot one or two, but to my knowledge, the only ones so far that I have flown with, that you can book your ticket and the cello ticket on your phone. You can get on the plane. Nobody ever talks to you. It's done. It's over. You get on, you get off, you, everything. Everybody else always makes a huge fuss about it. The more, let's say, expensive. Uh, oh, because the cello can't open the emergency door if, or the window. So many rules. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. the cello is not a person, so you cannot purchase a ticket for it like a person. So you have to spend hours on the phone, this and that and that. Luckily, now, when you have managements, they take care of that. But then you get to the airport and then something went wrong. They need to rebook everything. So you always have to have a cello, which is really not a person. It's a cabin baggage, an extra seat. And it always has to be at the window and so on. And then you strap it in. And so it's does a bit it of a, a hassle. Does it get free drinks as well? <laughs> I probably could ask for it, but I haven't done it yet. So, but you get used to it now. Then there's upsides to that, of course, also because you always get to board first on the plane with a cello. We always have that in our orchestra. It's like the cellist and bitte to ask the cellos, yeah. please, first. And we're like, oh, yeah. they, they always it, get to go first. It's especially satisfying when you look at those like business class or first class guys <laughs> standing in line. They're like, yeah, I'm going to go first. And then you just walk by them with a smile and they're so angry because they paid so much money. And yet still they're not going first. So that's the, the upside to it. But otherwise, I've really gotten used to it by now. It's it's just normal to travel with a cello. And another upside is nobody's ever sitting 
on both sides of you. Sometimes, of course, on your other side, there's somebody sitting, but you're never kind of crammed in between two people. You can mm -hmm. lean your head uh, gently on your cello and take a nice nap. That's also extremely comfortable. Do you miss traveling right now in these corona times? Actually, no, I didn't. I mean, I was. we were all of us, I guess, really for like maybe three or four months really not traveling. And I really didn't miss it. I was enjoying it so much for once not to travel all the time. Those three months of just staying at home. I know it's, I mean, it's horrible to say many people had very hard times. Uh, and I'm just privileged to say that I really didn't have such a hard time. I was lucky because I was in Austria, first of all, and things there were relatively under control. Everything was uh, really okay. So I actually was able, luckily, to really enjoy this time. But of course, there's many people who, who weren't so lucky. But yeah, for me, it, it was actually a, it became a kind of a beautiful time. So the fourth, the fourth is still the fourth. It might be the fifth by the time you change your Instagram <laughs> description. The occasional nerd. Now, I want to know, I was reading all about you and I couldn't quite work out whether you meant you're a cello nerd or are you a musician nerd? Are you a movie nerd? Are you a comic nerd? Are you a gaming nerd? What sort of nerd do you mean? <laughs> A bit of all of those, all of those categories you just named and all of them occasionally. I mean, cello nerd, I would say always, <laughs> certainly. But yes, so I was very much or still am very much into, you know, movies. That is certainly number one. Like I'm so much into movies, blockbusters, you know, like really nerdy movies, not like, you know, I'm going to watch now artistic French movies from the 1950s. Not so much my world because I, I do so much, uh, you know, this really high level of music, Beethoven, Mozart, Bach, and you go so deep and it's so intellectual and so amazing and spiritual and all of that. So that when I put the cello away, I would just like to switch off also once and just watch a movie with nice explosions. Why can't I? What's, why can't I? I mean, so for me, this is really part of switching off. And I don't, I mean, of course I enjoy also, there is many movies that are very intellectual, which I also enjoy and stuff like that. But I would really say that Hollywood and Hollywood movies are, my weakness, absolutely my weakness. So this this is definitely the nerdy thing. I was very much into gaming, still am, very occasional now. The gaming part is really one or two video games that really intrigue me per year. I pick them up and I really play them in depth and like fanatically for like a week until I finish them and then I put them away. Um, so it's not like I play every day. It's like maybe one week a year that I set aside and I grab a game that I really find inspiring actually. Because, you know, video games, I don't know if... Some people don't realize what video games have become. They think like, oh, it's Super Mario and you jump around. Video games now have really become pieces of art. It has become an art form. And the music itself. that goes along with the them. music. There's yeah. like the live there's, concerts and yes, stuff. Yes, and there's yeah. real film music composers sometimes writing music for video games now, like Hans Zimmer and so on. They wrote video game music as well. I mean, this is such a high level of artistry now in video games. And I enjoy that so much. So That's, I've got an idea for your next album. Please tell me. <laughs> yeah, you can get all these arranged for cello ensembles, Super Mario and all the rest of them. <laughs> well, you're actually not so far away. From. <laughs> ah, well, speaking of which, and of course I have to ask, I know you've released the, the Mozart trios with Barenboim, the two Barenboims, Barenboim and Barenboim, Daniel and Misha, mm -hmm. and you've got the Beethoven trios coming out. But there's also another something uh, sort of still a little shrouded in secrecy project that we might be allowed to see quite soon. Yes, this is a project that in a way I've been working on for many, many, many years now from my bedroom. This is really like a bedroom project that I started to do for fun many years ago and because of corona it became super real suddenly because i was stuck at home and i had no concerts to play so i had 
as much time like I never had before. And I really went deep into this project. Again, I don't want to say too much, but it's so incredibly time-consuming. The preparation for this, we're talking, of course, an album that I am working on, is so incredibly time-consuming that I don't think I could have kick-started it the way I did if it hadn't been for this lockdown and the corona thing because I was constantly traveling. And this is really something you have to do in quiet at home. It really doesn't work so well uh, while you're moving around. So it really kickstarted the whole thing, but I had been working on it for years already. So now we're finally in the midst of producing this whole thing, and it's so time-consuming and so big, but I'm so extremely excited. It's definitely the most personal album I've, I've ever done and the most ambitious one, and I'm extremely looking forward to next year. Okay, dear listeners, so you've heard it here first, and we will be back here on the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast as soon as this mysterious project hits the stores. I can't wait to find out what it is. I have sort of an idea, but we'll turn the microphones off before I before I quiz you further. <laughs> Kian, it's been great to talk to you. Usually we end every podcast with a form of the horn challenge. Now, you've seen other musical celebrities try their best on YouTube at trying to get a noise out of my horn, and the worse they are, they, the more we love them. Them. Don't look so scared because you don't have to do that today because it's a Corona times. I'm not passing my horn around to mm -hmm. let everybody try it. But I always, you know, want to go go into the horn a tiny bit at the end because, you know, that's what I know about. And so I've thought up three trivia questions for you. This is your horn challenge today. Rather than making you play a note or the solo from the Dvorak horn, concer uh, horn concerto, <laughs> cello concerto, I have three trivia. You're looking very nervous, though, still. Maybe you would have preferred to have played it. You yes. Re you ready for these? I'm not sure if I am. Okay. Horn challenge question number one. How many horns in the Dvorak cello concerto? Two. Wrong. Three. Three. Oh, my God. I really am <laughs> But that's wrong. okay. You don't look at them. You have your back to them. So that, that's yes. fine. So now you know. There's three. They play as a trio quite a lot, but usually you're playing along with them. So, you know, so you're forgiven. It could have been a bassoon. Okay. Second, which piece by Schumann can be played either by the horn or the cello? Yeah, but we, it's better on the horn. I'm, I'm, I have to disagree. Like, <laughs> like passionately disagree unfortunately no, i passionately disagree with that the only thing you don't have to do that we have to do you don't have to breathe as much as us that's the problem it's it's a you need a lot of air for the that first adagio section and you guys all just have to have a slow have a slow bow arm yeah so we so. can really give it the calm that the no, piece no no but needs. we give it we give it the, the 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 hornistic passion that it needs anyway we'll argue that when yes. we turn off the, the but, but that's very good which piece by richard strauss begins with the horn and the cello being the hero together. Um, is it Heldenleben? Exactly. There you go. I got the only cello-related question wrong. Isn't that embarrassing? That's okay. <laughs> no, well, that's all right. There are three horns in the Borchak Cello Concerto, but in the Heldenleben, the horn yes. and the cello section play they, they play the role of the hero, but no one ever hears the cellos because the horn's usually playing I, so loud. I actually didn't know that the re the, re the horns are part of that. I thought it's just the cellos, oh, but here because we you go. said it, I, like, <laughs> I only listen to the cellos there. <laughs> here we go. So you hear, dear listeners, the, the cellos are very far away from the horns on the stage so we have completely different perspectives on things but thank you thank you for playing our horn challenge thank you for being on the podcast congratulations on your Dvorak albums really fantastic and I've loved listening to you and hearing your insights and uh, hope you'll be back with us very soon as soon as your new project comes out yes I hope so too thanks all, for having me all the best and see you next time on the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast bye everyone bye